Welcome to the Highland Park Community Church Podcast. Our goal is to serve and encourage you as you build a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as we study the Word of God together in this week's episode. So um, the full teaching from last week will be up on the internet at 12.30 a.m. So if you're a night owl or you just can't sleep and you want to listen to it and you missed it last week, Debbie, um, <laughs> then uh, as soon as you decide that you want to wake up and listen to it, you can listen to it. And uh, Or if Mike doesn't want to you know, stay up late doing whatever he does at night in our house tonight, he can... <laughs> He can uh, catch up on the podcast too. So um, before we move on, a couple different things that we went over last week. Last week, we talked about the history of the tithe, where it's first mentioned in the Bible, um, where uh, the first two instances are in Genesis. Genesis, um, I was going to guess, but I might as well just scroll up. Yeah. Yeah. Genesis 14. And then again, it it is mentioned in Genesis 28, 28, which a lot of people overlook. And then the first time that it's mentioned in Levitical law is in Leviticus 27. Um, From studying a lot of the verses that we looked at, we found out that there in the Old Testament, there is not one tithe, but there are four different types of tithes. There is the tithe that goes to the Levites. There is the tithe that the Levites take out of what they've been given, and they give it to the tribe of Aaron, not just the Levites as a whole, but the actual priests that are working the temple. Um, there is a tithe that we that Israel was meant to save for themselves, so that when they went to Jerusalem for the three feasts per year that they were meant to go, they had money to spend to actually participate in the feast and to feast. And then the last one was every third year, um, they did a special tithe for the orphans, the widows, and again, the Levites. Um, the Levites were included in all of the tithing, in every tithe of the tithe system because the Levites have no inheritance from the Lord. Um, they received no land. They had no jobs other than working the temple and maintaining order in the communities. Um, they worked as judges that were on call all the time. Um, to help keep towns decently and in order. So tonight, what I want to talk about is uh, the type to the Levites. Um, last week, there's there's not a lot of information on why uh, the other tides existed. You know, there's other than just being straightforward and just saying, hey, you need to have a lot saved so that when you go to the feasts every year, you have something to bring and something to give. Uh, Deuteronomy 14 lays that out pretty clearly. Um, Deuteronomy 14 also lays out pretty clearly what it's like to take care of the orphans and the widows with that particular tithe. Um, again, I think that there, I don't think it's one tithe that's split four ways. I, I think it is 
four different types of tithes. That's the way that the verbiage is used. Um, so today I actually want to talk about why the Levites actually received the tithe. Because again, tithing wasn't meant for a particular person or people group. The whole reason why we tithe is the tithe was for the Lord. Every, every type of tithe was for the Lord. It was meant to go to a purpose that the Lord designated. And so even though we can say, oh, well, the first 10% went to the Levites, it didn't really go to the Levites. It belonged to the Lord. It was given to the Lord and the Lord said, okay, I'm going to give it now to the Levites. Um, that second 10%, it, it wasn't just for the feast. It was, this is for the feast of the Lord and the Lord is allowing us to partake in it as, as we go. Um, and then that last tithe, obviously, one of the greatest commandments of Scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament, is to take care of the orphans, the widows, the soldiers, the poor. And so that third tithe was specifically set aside for the Lord's purpose of taking care of those people groups. Um, but especially as we get into the New Testament and we, we ask the question, is tithing still something that we should do? Um, we have to go back and understand why tithe, specifically the tithe that went to the Levites, was established in the first place. Because without that context, we miss what is hidden in the scriptures of the New Testament. I don't think it's hidden, and we'll get there when we get there, but um, I, I think it's pretty pretty clear, um, and we'll, we'll get to why I think that in a, in a little bit, maybe even tonight, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but let's go to Deuteronomy 18. So... Um, I mean, Numbers eight, Numbers 18. I'm sorry. You're right. Um, <clears throat> numbers 18. Why are you using that Tree of Life translation again? C. Um, <clears throat> so the first question that we need to ask as we go over these scriptures is, why was, the, why was tithing so important? Why was it important and why did it go to the Levites? So let's look at Numbers 18, verses 20 through 24. Starting in verse 20, it says, Yahweh said to Aaron, You will have no inheritance in their land, nor share among them. I am your portion and your share among Israel. See, I have given all the tithes in Israel to the sons of Levi as an inheritance in return for all the work of the service they are doing in the tent of meeting. From now on, Israel must never trespass the tent of meeting, or they will bear the consequences of their sin and die. The Levites will perform the service of the tent of meeting. They will bear the responsibility for their iniquity. It is a permanent ordinance throughout your generations. So among Israel, they are to receive no inheritance. For I have given the tithes that Israel present to Yahweh as an offering to the Levites as an inheritance. This is why I said they would receive no inheritance among Israel. All right, so why was the tithing so important? Well, the first reason is because the Levites received nothing. Everyone else got to work a job and sustain themselves. The Levites, their only job was to, was to man the temple and prepare a place for the Lord's presence to dwell. It's the only place. It's the only thing that they were required to do. And because of that, there's not really a way for them to make money <laughs> um, or live. So you might be asking yourself as we read these, these verses, who were the Levites? The Levites, um, 
were Israelites from the tribe of Levi. They assisted the priests, and some of them, such as the sons of Aaron, were priests themselves. All right. Um, and as we can see here, the priests had one job. All they did, right, is minister to the Lord and minister to the people as they came in. Minister to the Lord, make sacrifices for the people, go into the Holy of Holies. Prayerfully, they don't die, you know, all kinds of different things like that. Um, they were not given an inheritance of private property to grow crops or raise livestock like the rest of the tribes. And for this reason, it is for this reason that God called them into a specific service, the service of the tent of meeting. Um, Say that again, the service. The service of the tent of meeting, which is from verse um, verse 21 of Numbers 18. The service of the tent of meeting. Um, they were commissioned to serve within the tabernacle and later on the temple. In other words, the Levites had a job to do and Yahweh wanted them to focus on doing their job rather than spending all their time farming to support themselves. Um, so what exactly did the Levites do? Let's go on a journey through the scriptures. Let's go to Numbers 1. Not number 1, but Numbers 1. <clears throat> We're going to start in verse um, 47. Numbers 1, verse 47. You guys ready? Mm -hmm. The Levites, however... <laughs> The Levites, however, were not counted by the tribe of their ancestors. For Yahweh told Moses, saying, Definitely you are not to number the tribe of Levi, nor take the sum of them among Israel. Instead, you are to appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all the implements and all pertaining to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its utensils, tend to it, and camp around it. Whenever the tabernacle sets out, the Levites are to dismantle it. Whenever the tabernacle is pitched, the Levites are to set it up. But the commoner who comes near to it must be put to death. Israel will encamp each man with his own camp, each with his own standard, according to his own divisions. The Levites are to camp around the tabernacle of the testimony so that there will be no wrath unleashed on the community of Israel. So the Levites are to maintain care of the tabernacle of all the, of all the testimony. So Israel did all that Yahweh commanded Moses. So they did. Um, so in these verses, you can clearly see that the Levites were in charge of the tabernacle. Um, and the Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant, depending on which translation you're reading. If you remember when David went to retrieve the ark from the Philistines, um, he tried to get a bunch of people to move it and all those guys died. Yeah. Who wanted that, right? Uza. Was it, was it just Uza. the one? Yeah. Okay. That's the ark. Because it went to... It's slipped. That's yeah, right. Tried yeah. To catch it. Yeah, you're right. Then, yeah. It was right. on a cart too. Yeah. It was, was on a cart, which was the big problem. Right. 
So David went back and reread through the law and understood that only the Levites were allowed to touch it. And so that's what he did. And he moved it the rest of the way. And then he threw a big party and, you know, danced around in his underwear. You know, um, it was a good time. So my kind of guy. <laughs> same. Uh, same. Was that no. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's okay. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, so for, for whatever reason, um, and this is where we'll get into some terms that I don't necessarily mean, uh, in a Calvinistic way, but for whatever reason, God elected Levi to be the only tribe that was allowed to come into the presence of the Lord and not die. For whatever reason, on a, on a continual basis. Now, there are exceptions to this rule, but what we have to understand as Christians is that just because there are exceptions to the rules in the Bible doesn't mean that we are the exception to the rule. We like to read into the Bible and think we are. And sometimes we are. I don't want to I don't want to say that we're not. You know, but 9 times out of 10, we're Israel, we're not King David. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. David and I say that because David was an exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. David was from the tribe of Judah. Right? He wasn't from the tribe of Levi, and yet for some reason he could be in the presence of the Lord all he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, second thing that the Israel that the Levites did. Let's go to Deuteronomy Um, we're going to start in verse 8. Ready? So this is the blessing of Moses. This is what he's praying over the different tribes of Israel. For Levi, he says, For Levi, he said, Let your Thumen and Irim be with your pious man. You test him at Massa. You strived with him at the waters of Meribah. He said of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did I acknowledge his brothers or recognize his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. (coughs) Verse 10, ready? They will teach Jacob, or Israel, your judgments, and Israel, your Torah. They will put incense in your nose and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Adonai, or Yahweh, bless his resources, find favor in the work of his hands, Crush the loins of those who rise up against him and hate him, so they do not rise again. Um, One of the other things that the tribe of Levi did is that they taught the scriptures. Those who weren't working in the temple 24-7 were out in the towns teaching people the laws of God. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? Mm Mm-hmm. We're going to go to 2 Chronicles. 
the priests were the only ones that taught, right? That's, the rest of them worked in the temple, I mean, in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, but the priests were actually the only ones that taught, correct? Uh, it, de it depends on who you talk to. Some, some scholars are torn on that because uh, it would appear that later on there were the scribes as well. The scribes wouldn't necessarily... I guess you're right. The scribes wouldn't necessarily teach like and preach the way that we would think that the priests would, but they would recite the words of God. You know, yeah, there was notes and, right. And, yeah. and in the temple services or wherever they were, the word of God was being taught at that time. There was always that one specific guy over in the corner who was reading through everything as the priest was explaining it. So second <clears throat> Chronicles 34. Um, we're going to start in verse 12. So in context, before we get into this, in context, um, this is during the age of King Josiah. He recently went into all of... Uh, all of Judah and said, Hey, there are a bunch of altars to Baal around. I'm going to rip them down. Um, uh, they will not coexist with us. Judah is Yahweh's portion. No one else's. So he goes in, he does this, and then he restores the temple and rededicates the temple to, to Yahweh. Um, and so in verse... You said Chronicles 12, 2 Chronicles 12. No, 34. Oh, 34. 34 and 12. 34 and, 12. Um, <clears throat> and so as they're restoring the temple, it says in verse 12, it says, The men did work faithfully. Over them were appointed Jahath and Obadiah, Levites from Maria, along with Zechariah and Meshulel and the sons of Kohath to supervise, while other Levites... All skilled musicians were over, over the burden bearers and supervised all who worked from task to task. Some of the Levites were also scribes, overseers, and gatekeepers. Um, again, scribes, overseers, gatekeepers. Uh, the Levites did several different things in order to not just make sure the temple was decent and in order, but one of the things that the Levites did in the Old Testament is that they acted as judges in the towns that they were in. They acted as scribes and historians in the towns that they were in. But one of the things that I want you to see here and understand here is that all the skilled musicians that played in the temple and in the tabernacle, specifically the tabernacle of David that was set up to be running 24-7, the only people allowed to play music were the Levites. There was no other people group in Israel that was allowed to play music before the Lord in that way. Um. So we just talked about uh, <clears throat> a couple other of the roles that are mentioned. Let's go to um, um, let's go to let's go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy twenty four.
Um, so one of the things that the Levites did is that they also um, they took care of the sick. Um, in verse 8 of Deuteronomy 24, it says, um, Take care in the plague of leprosy. Be very careful to do all that the Levitical priests instruct you, just as I commanded them. So you are to take care to do them. Remember that Yahweh, your God, what Yahweh, your God did to Miriam along the way um, when you were coming out of Egypt. And so um, the priests, again, uh, and this is why Jesus, when he healed people of leprosy in the New Testament, he says, don't stay here and talk to me. Go to the priests in the temple and let them know, hey, you've been healed. Um, so they can do the tests. They can make sure that you're healthy. You can go back into the society um, of that time period. Yeah, to declare you to be clean. Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, Deuteronomy 17. Verses 8 through 13. And this is where we'll see that the Levites are actually the ones in charge of being judges in the community. Um, <clears throat> Suppose a matter arises that is too hard for you to ju judge over bloodshed, legal claims, or assault, matters of controversy within your gates, then you should go up to the place of Yahweh, that the place Yahweh your God chooses, and come to the Levitical priests and the judge in charge at that time. And you will inquire, and they will tell you the sentence of judgment. You are to ask according to the sentence they tell you from the place Yahweh chooses, and take care to do all that they instruct you. You are to act according to the instruction they teach you, and the judgment they will tell you. You must not turn aside from the sentence they tell you to the right or to the left. The man who acts presumptuously by not listening to the priests who stand to serve there before Yahweh your God, or to judge, that man must die. You, so you are to purge the evil from Israel. Then all the people will hear and be afraid and not act presumptuously again. Um, <clears throat> so when we look at what the Levites did in the Old Testament, in essence... In essence, remember, we're talking about the spirit of the law. We're trying to figure out what, where this applies to us. In essence, we see that the Levites ran the church services services of ancient Israel as ministers along with the priests, ministering to the Lord and equipping the people to be a light amongst the nations. Remember, the reason why the Torah was given was so that God could set Israel apart and cause the nations to be jealous by seeing their light. Because their gods have nothing on Yahweh. Right? So, um, so let's continue to get into this. Since we know this is this about the Levites, what does the New Testament say on tithing? Well, I'm going to be completely honest with you. You can't find a verse in the Bible that where Jesus says in the New Testament that we should be tithing. 
You also can't find one that says that we stop. And when you look at the pattern of the laws that are given or the laws that are upheld even after salvation, if Jesus or the apostles didn't change the law or say that it ceased, then in every other instance, the law continues. But for some reason, tithing seems to be the one that people have trouble with. And we'll get into heart motive in a little bit. But I, I want to keep this scriptural right now um, before we get into what people may think. All right. Um, and Ronnie, it's not just tithing because there are topics that Jesus did not touch on because he came to fulfill the law and he never changed it. See, you're jumping so, ahead of all yeah. my notes. <laughs> huh? I said, see, you're jumping ahead of all my notes. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to do that. Keep in mind, Butch, this is a message, man. I'm trying to set people up to think. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to just force feed everybody everything. I want to ask questions to get people. I mean, we'll talk about, you know, homosexuality. Sure. Dude, homosexuality, sex before marriage, like, we uh, we can go down the list, man. I'm right there with you. But that's not the topic of tonight, right? Tonight, the topic of tonight is specifically tithing and giving. Also, right? the zipper did not have a lock. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Um, all right, let's go to uh, let's go to Matthew. Matthew five seventeen. So. The question, do we still tithe today? It's complicated. I don't think it's that complicated, but it gets complicated when there's not a direct Bible verse that says, hey, go do this. I'm going to show you the conclusions that I came to. If you want to argue about it later and have a delightful discussion and debate, we can definitely do that. But here's here's where I'm headed, okay? Here's here's where we're headed as a church. I'm going I'm to lay it out for you. Um Here's one thing that we know. Jesus affirmed the ongoing authority of the law, of the Torah. Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think that I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen. I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or seraph shall ever pass away from the Torah until all things come to pass. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, this one shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and Torah scholars, you shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what, what, what can we take from these verses, right? The first thing is Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He then states that nothing from the law will, will pass away until heaven and earth pass away. And his followers would do and teach even the least of the commandments from the Torah. Keep in mind, he's referencing when he says law here, he's not, he's not referencing like United States law. He's not referencing uh, anything other than what the first five books of the Bible say, because everything after that is called the prophets. And he mentions that, too. He says not one letter or iota, not one comma 
Not one dot on, on any eye will ever disappear until heaven and earth pass away. Now we know that when heaven and earth pass away, it's only because God's recreating it and it gets called new heaven and new earth, right? It's not we die and we go to heaven. It's we die, heaven and earth pass away. The Lord recreates everything. We get to reign a thousand years with him. We can go into eschatology later on, right? But, but the point that I want to make is that not one, not one thing ends from the law until heaven and earth pass away. Jesus did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it and show us how to live that way, right? If, if one letter of the law, uh, if we can assume that one, one commandment from the law changes without Jesus rightfully saying, hey, we're changing it to this, then why do we follow the Ten Commandments? Why do we tell people that they you know, shouldn't, shouldn't sleep together before they get married? Why do we tell people, besides scientifically, which we can back that up, all day. But, you know, why do we tell people that, uh, you know, homosexuality is wrong? Repent of your sin. Why do we tell people that you shouldn't be addicted to drugs or alcohol? You know, it wouldn't make sense. We shouldn't be telling people any of those things and not, especially not basing it on the word of God. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? Yeah. All right. Uh, so the laws in the Torah are still valid for instruction. And this includes tithing. When we get later on to when Paul is writing to Timothy, he says to Timothy, all of scripture, all of scripture is God breathed and therefore instruction, reproof, encouragement, teaching, right? So, so let's keep going. So although the word tithe is rarely used in the New Testament, I, I honestly, I, I Googled it and I went to Bible Gateway. I looked in all the translations it's very rare that the word tithe ever comes up in the New Testament. And honestly, when it does, it's, uh, you know, it's mostly Jesus rebuking Pharisees. Um, so although it, it doesn't show up often, the theme of tithing is still very present throughout the New Testament. So let's take a trail. Let's, let's go down this path together. And, um, and let me show you some things. So in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4, um, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you do the law or practice the law, do not sound the trumpet before you... <clears throat> before. Blah, blah, blah. So whenever you do works of righteousness, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets so that they may be glorified by men. Amen. I tell you, they have their reward in full, but when you do righteousness, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your righteousness may be in secret and your father who is in heaven, who is in secret shall reward you. Um, one of the things that is stressed in these verses is don't let, people know when you're giving to the poor, right? Don't let the people in the city know when you're giving to the poor. Well, what does that have to do with? That has to do with the last type of tithing that we talked about. Every third year, Israel was to set aside another 10% to do what? Take care of the poor, the orphan, the widow, the sojourner. Um, in Matthew 23,
We're starting verse 13. <clears throat> 23.13, but woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut people out of the kingdom of heaven, for you do not enter yourselves, nor do you let those who enter who are trying to go in. Woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel over the land and sea and make one covenant. But when he becomes one, he will make him twice as much a son of Gehenna or a son of hell as yourself. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. O fools and blind ones, which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold holy? And you say, whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by an offering, he is obligated. O blind ones, which is greater, the offering or the altar that makes the offering holy? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Where did I say it was going? What verse? 33. Uh, Woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe. Here's the only instance I could find it in the New Testament. You tithe mint and dill and cumin, yet you have neglected the weightier matters of the Torah, justice and mercy and faithfulness. It is necessary to do these things without neglecting the others. O blind guides, straining out a gnat while swallowing a camel. Woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and uncontrolled desire. O blind Pharisees, First, clean the inside of the cup and dish so that the outside may become clean as well. Woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, you appear righteous to men on the outside, but are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, hypocrites, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we'd been alive in those days of our forefathers, we wouldn't have been partners with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure, the measure of your fathers. O snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the condemnation of Gehenna? <coughs> so, that's pretty stiff stuff. Pretty stiff, right? So, look, the only verse in the New Testament where I could find the word tithe appears. Uh, it, the only verse in the New Testament where I could find that the word tithe appears is a verse where Jesus rebukes the Pharisees of his day for taking the tithe, but not visiting the orphans, the widows, the foreigners, the sojourners, the poor. Um, and this was part of the priestly responsibility. This was a part of what they were supposed to be doing. So let's go to Mark 12. And I mean, I want to say too, like there, there is a Jesus rabbit trail. Jesus said, do not take on the leaven of the Pharisees or Herod. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, there is a, a pharisaical spirit 
I don't want to say a spirit of religion because religion is good. Pure and undefiled religion takes care of the orphans and the widows. But there is a, there is a pharisaical spirit that will come in and cause us to be greedy. One thing that I do want to point out as we get into this, and, and I, I'm not going to say tithing. When it comes to us giving, because eventually we're going to look at a bunch of New Testament examples of what the church did. All right. I, I, I'm fairly certain at the end of this, at the end of this, you guys are going to be like, that's pretty straightforward. We should be tithing. But I don't want it, I don't want this to just be about tithing. I want us to learn how to be generous givers because that's what God wants. Right. The thing of it is, is that if we allow a pharisaical spirit to come into us, it makes us greedy. It makes us unclean. And the first thing that it attacks is our finances. What I mean by that is we're not willing to let go of control of them and give it to God and let God actually be the one that tells us what to do with our finances. We hold on. We save every penny. We become uh, so high strung about it that we're not willing to give to anything. And, and I, I, I want to build, I want us as a church to build big people and I don't want to build a big church. I want to build big people that are generous because if we have generous people in the church, then we can be a generous church. But that takes people actually following through on what God commands as far as what giving goes and, and being able to give so that when people come forward and they say, we need help, we as a church can go, we have the finances to help. Let's do it. We're not just going to come and pray for you. We're not just going to come and, and like sit with you and love you. Those are all things that we want to do. I think we all have proven over the past two years of being here that we are willing to do those things. But one thing that I don't think that we have proven that we can do yet is meet the practical needs of the people because we've been scared to let God have control of our own finances. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? being convicted for not sharing those donuts last week? Not in the least. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's donuts in the Bible, right? Uh, generosity here, you'd be surprised. Donuts are a part of Jewish tradition. Hardcore. But there's a big zero in the middle of that. <laughs> Alright. Um, so, uh, Mark 12 we're going to start in verse 38. He says, In his teaching, he said, Watch out for the tourist scholars who like to walk around in long robes. They like greeting in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts. Excuse me. And they devour the widows' houses and make long prayers as a show. These men will receive great condemnation. I'm going to go to verse 44. He sat down opposite of the treasury and began watching how the people were putting money in the offering box. Many rich people were putting in a lot. Many rich people were. Then a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins worth less than a penny. Calling his disciples over, he said to them, Amen, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those contributing to the box. For they have put in from their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had, her whole living. <clears throat> so look, get this. One of the things that I think is important to see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus praises the poor woman who was giving all she has. I'm not saying that if you're poor, you should come and tie it to the church and then expect something in return. 
If you've got the faith for that, I want to encourage you. Do what God tells you to do. But the thing that I want to point out is that in the Old Testament, God asked us to only give a percentage of what he gives us. Because keep in mind, everything is from him, right? We all believe that. So we're not even giving something that's ours. We're giving him back something in return for what he's, what he's already given us. In the New Testament, because he has redeemed us and bought us, bought us, not brought us, but bought us. The word redeem in the New Testament doesn't mean, uh, it's not a light word. It, it means to buy back at great price. That's what the word redeem means. So when we read verses in Ephesians that say that God redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness, Paul is saying that Jesus didn't just die to bring us back. He died to buy us back at a great price, the price of his blood, right? Um, when, he, when he bought us back from the kingdom of darkness, he redeemed us. He doesn't ask for a percentage. Instead, Yahweh asks of all we are, all we have, and all we want so that it can be used for his glory and purposes. He asks for everything. And we'll, we'll get into this later on, but one of the greatest examples of this is in Acts. The very beginning of Acts. Do people tithe in Acts? Not 10%. They sold everything and gave it to the church and the apostles laid it at the apostles' feet and trusted the apostles to hear from the Holy Spirit to know what to do with it. And because of that, no one lacked anything. No one lacked anything. And so I... I say that, I, 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 I want to point that out, not because I want everybody to give their life savings. That's not what I'm saying at all. Please, 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 please do not do that. Again, there's a, there's, a, there's a portion of tithing that I think we need to enact today. Follow the spirit of the law and make sure that we have savings set aside. A righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children and his grandchildren. We, we should be setting ourselves up to do that. But, but what I do want to say is we need to allow God to be God, not just of our salvation, but of every aspect of our being. Every aspect. There are, there are many of us in here that want to start ministries and want the church to help support that ministry. But if we don't have finances coming in to support that ministry, we can't do it. We just can't. And it, and it breaks my heart to see messages on our group chats where people are asking for money or asking for help for things or asking us to go out and help this person and that person. And I, I look at the financial committee and I go, can we do this? And they're like, no, we got to stick to our budget. We don't have it in the budget. Luke 6, 38. <clears throat> Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, will be given into your lap. For whatever measure you measure out, it will be measured back to you. Wait a minute. You said Luke 6, 38? Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. You got it? Yeah. Okay. All right. So again... Given, it will be given back to you. Freely you receive, so freely you give, right? So. <laughs> no, you're okay. You're okay. 
So, um, so let's get back to the question. Can we still tithe today? Can we still tithe today? Remember how I said it's a little more complicated? Technically, no. If you want the honest answer, technically, if we are to follow the letter of the law, no, we cannot tithe today. Because we don't live by the letter of the law anymore, but by the spirit of the law. So what do I mean by this? Let's jump in a little further. If we go back to what we read in the Old Testament, I know Mary's looking at me funny because she asked me about tithing a couple weeks ago and I was like, it's complicated. Yes and no. And it's not just 10%. She was like, why? I'm confused. I know it's confusing. Let me get there. Um, so why can't we technically tithe today as we could in the Old Testament? Well, first, we have to remember that God gave the tithe specifically to the Levites. Right? So unless you are a Levite, the tithe technically isn't yours. Any of you guys Levites? No. I know. I, I just spent a bunch of time saying that I think the tithe that we should be tithing and we should be giving in the church. We're going to get to that. Let me, but let's answer the question honestly. On a technical level, no, we can't. Because even if we know some, some Levites, if we have some Jewish friends that actually are Levites, get this. The entire framework from within, uh, the entire framework within which the tithe applies does not exist anymore. There's does no that, temple in Jerusalem. Does that include, um, does that include, um, when, when they talk about the, the three feasts, the, the 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 um the first fruits does mm-hmm. that include that too? Uh, first fruits is where you. Well, let's let's keep going. Okay. We'll we'll get there. Let's keep going. <clears throat> um, so you might be wondering why doesn't exist? Well, this was meant for the land of Israel, the kingdom of Israel as a whole. Are we Israel? Not physically, right? Spiritually, but physically, no. <sighs> Does our tithe come from the land? No. When we think about tithing, we think about money, right? Finances, usually. Time spent. Mm-hmm. Resources that we buy at a store. Everything, right? Mm-hmm. The, tithe, the tithe was specifically set up for an agricultural society. Everything came from the ground or the livestock. Uh, And the third reason is there's no functioning sanctuary and priesthood in Jerusalem. So we literally cannot tithe according to biblical law. If you want the honesty. Like, honest to God, answer. But here's where the butt comes in. Here's where the butt comes in. But as believers who love the word of God and desire to apply it to our lives as best as we can, there are some things to take into consideration. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. So let's ask the question. What was the purpose of the tithe to the Levites? 
It was to enable the ministers in Israel to do their job so that they could in turn enable Israel to worship Yahweh and be a light to the nations. That was the main source of, when we talk about the tithe to the Levites, right? There, there are those three other tithes. Well, one of them is included in this because even the Levites tithe to the high priest to make sure he was taken care of too. Um, but they're, they tithe to the Levites so that the Levites could make sure that they were well-equipped to do their job and teach people about Yahweh, to be worshiping in the temple 24-7, to have those 24-7 prayer services that places like IHOP and MAPS and, uh, you know, David's Tent, they're all trying to do those things. So when it comes to the issue of tithing, the real question is, or the real question that we should be asking ourselves is, does God still desire for his people to worship him and be a light to the nations? Easy answer. Yes. Right? The next question, does God still establish ministers to equip the saints to do such things? He gave us Ephesians 4, right? He gave us the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, to train the saints up to do the work of the ministry? Yep. The answer is yes, right? Does the Bible still expect ministers to be supported by people? Yes. Yeah. Actually, there's there's one verse that I want to get to tonight, and then we'll, we'll actually pick up the rest next week. Um, but the answer is actually yes. He does. And... Um, Again, I, I know I said this last week. I don't say this in order to make a paycheck. I've been doing ministry long enough, specifically house church long enough to where like the paycheck doesn't matter to me. I'm not coming to you guys saying tithe to take care of my family. I don't mind being a tent builder like Paul. What I do care about is that we are Bible-believing Bible Christians who are obedient to what God calls us to do. And if we want to make an impact here and a lot of the re- ways that we make an impact here is through finances because of how poor this community is, then we need to get ourselves straight so that we can do that. Um, So although we can't literally tithe to literal Levites at a literal sanctuary in Jerusalem, we can keep the principle or intent behind the tithing laws today by supporting pastors, teachers, evangelists, and other ministers through our monetary income. In other words, we can observe the spirit of the law, right? Second Corinthians says we no longer live by the spirit of the, by the letter of the law, but by the spirit of the law. So when we read through the Old Testament and we understand that there are some laws that we literally just can't fulfill because we're not Israel, we're not a Levite, we're not this, we're not that, there's still the spirit that wrote that law, the Holy Spirit, that says, hey, this is how you can apply this to your life today. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14 or 1, 1 Corinthians 9. My spiritual dad, um, some of you guys know Tiny, 
Some of you guys know Dwayne. Some of you guys were at his funeral and didn't even realize I was there reading scriptures before the pastor got up to preach, but that's another story. God works in funny ways sometimes. Um, One of the things that he really instilled in me was that uh, it's great if people want to give an offering, but we should not live by a tithing plate. We should know how to manage our finances well enough as Christians to where uh, the tithing plate is not the thing that supports us all the time. And so I've, I've tried to live my life in such a way um, so that I'm not offended at people for not giving. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't know who gives and who doesn't unless the financial committee tells me. I don't know the amount of money that's given each month at all. What I can tell you is that we have such generous elders here that give so much of their money away to causes that they believe in. What I can tell you is that I know what they give to the knock every month because I see that. And if what they give to the knock every month is an indication of what they also give here to help support us so that we can do the things that we want to do to impact this community, then it's amazing to me. And I'm saying this to us young people. It, it amazes me. And I want to strive to live in such a way to where as we get older, Kate and I are able to give up 50% of our income to help support the kingdom. That's what I want to do. Um, just because of the way that I mean, I know that they tie to MCC. I know that they give here, not because I see what comes in, but because I, I know they do because they're that, those kinds of people. And because of the, because of what I actually do see them give to uh, the knock every month, it, it, it blows my mind how generous they are. And maybe they don't want to hear that. Maybe they don't want to be talked up. But I, I want to let you guys know that if you want to know anything about finances and being generous givers, We have the perfect people. God set us up with the perfect people to talk to about this Um, because it, it, it really does just, it really does just blow my mind. Um, So, and my father-in-law over there is really generous too, but you know, he's not with us all the time, so I won't talk him up as much. Um, So we're in, (laughs) he breezed you up on that one, brother. I just lost a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping he buys me dinner later. That's really why I said that. Um, Done deal. We don't have that plate, but here's a hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, stick the whole thing. <laughs> so, look, in verse 15, we're not going to be able to read all this tonight because I've already been talking for almost an hour and I don't want to... Um, there's more to this that I want to get into more deeply. Starting in verse 15 of chapter 9, Paul goes on this rant of how he does not want to deprive the church at Corinth for any reason. And so because they have all these spiritual troubles, he's not actually going to take from the tithing plate. He's going to go out and work and build tents. Now, if we line this up with the book of Acts, we understand that his sweat rags actually were so anointed by the Holy Spirit that They were sent to people who were sick and had demons and they got healed and got delivered because of the work he was doing. It was anointed. I love these verses because honestly, I love workplace ministry. My, my, before the Lord just was like, you need to apply 
for the knock, I fought him for a long time because I, I was comfortable being a workplace minister that brought people in from the workplace. I was comfortable being around the LGBTQI plus community and learning how to respect them and be invited to their table so that I had a seat and could speak into their lives. I loved that type of stuff. To me, it was a game. It was a challenge. Not that their lives are a game. That's not, that's not what I'm saying, but it, I love that kind of stuff. And sometimes, and it's the season that I'm in as I'm learning to do everything here, but sometimes when I'm in in that room downstairs for long periods of time, staring at a computer screen and not really interacting with anybody, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Um, <laughs> Cause I wanna be around more people. I wanna be around more of the lost and people that don't agree with us. And I love just being in those places. Um, I always have. So we're not gonna read that part. We're gonna read verses one through 14, all right? And in specifically, specifically, uh, uh, I want us to pay attention to what verses um, 11 through 14 tell us towards the end. You guys ready to go on this journey with me? Mm-hmm. All right. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my office of apostle in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brother and Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to not work? What soldier ever serves at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink its milk? Look, uh, verse 6. Is it only Barnabas and I that do not have the right to not work? All the other apostles are being supported by people giving. And he's questioning them. Why? What's going on? Right? Because they had a bad heart attitude. Second Corinthians tells us that Paul wanted them to be generous givers. We'll get into that later. But I, I, want, I want us to pay attention to Paul's, Paul's arguments here because I think when it comes to the spirit of the law, when it, when it comes to the subject of tithing, I think these verses are very important. I don't say these things merely as a man, do I? Doesn't the Torah also say these things? Why is he referencing the Old Testament here? The Torah. For it is written in the Torah of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it is threshing. It is the oxen that concern the Lord. Is it the oxen that concern the Lord? Or is he speaking entirely for our sake? Yes, it is written for our sake because of the one one plowing ought to plow in hope and the one threshing in hope of the share in the crop. If we sowed spiritual things into you, So where I want us to start really looking at these verses. If we sowed spiritual things into you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others have a share in this claim over you, shouldn't we even more so? Nevertheless, we do not use this right, but have put up with all things so that we cause no hindrance to the good news of the Messiah. Don't you know 
that those who perform the holy services eat from the temple and those who wait on the altar receive a share at the altar. What did we just reference earlier in this, in this session, in this teaching? What's he referencing here? The Levites. Get this. So also the Lord ordered. Some translations say the Lord commanded. Those who proclaim to good, the good news to get their living from the good news. He compares the offerings that should be taken up for those preaching the gospel to the Levites working in the temple and receiving the tithe. I think that's pretty straightforward. Does that make sense? Yeah. You guys tracking with me? Mm-hmm. All right, good. I got a whole slew of other New Testament stuff we're going to get into later too. So um, we've I've already been talking for an hour, so we're going to end tonight here. We're going to pray. If you read verse 15, it, it looks like he explains why he made that decision to not accept or to be a, you know, a bivocational yeah. evangelist. Yeah. Because he didn't want anybody having a perception that he received anything other than straight from the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can read that real quick. Uh, But I have used none of these things and I am not writing these things. So it will happen this way in my case for I would rather die than let anyone deprive me of my reason to boast. For if I proclaim the good news, I have no reason to boast for pressure is put on me. And woe to me if I don't proclaim the good news for if I do this of my own will, I will have my reward. But if not my own will, I have been entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? That when I preach, I may present the good news free of charge, not making use of my right in the good news. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win over more of them. So, so here's here's what we'll leave this tonight. Here's what we'll leave this tonight because there's a lot of other New Testament verses. Because again, like the whole reason why we're doing this is not just to talk about tithing. I think I think I have established that as New Testament believers, we can tithe. I think we should be tithing to follow the spirit of the law. Now, I want to get into more practical things eventually, but I also over the next couple weeks. I really want us to go on a journey examining what the New Testament did because I want us to understand how generous the Lord is and how generous he makes us if we let him. Because I'm not I'm not coming to you guys saying tithe so that I can like get a bigger stipend. I don't care about that. If I cared about that, I wouldn't be doing this at all. I've never cared about that. What I care about is us making an impact for the gospel and actually going out and be able to being able to take care of our community. That's what I care about. So um, I'm going to pray. And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll, we're going we're gonna to dissect more of what it means to be a giver. We're going we're gonna to go through the New Testament letters first. And then we'll get into the book of Acts and what that looks like. And then I, I want to talk about what giving actually does to us and does to our hearts. Um, because it's not just a matter of of us giving to give. It's a matter of us giving so that we can be transformed. 
what it does for us. Because it, remember, the Lord isn't just looking to bless us on this side of eternity. He's looking to bless us later on in life. And the way that we steward our finances and the way that we give and take care of people here determines what rewards we receive at the end. And it determines what place we have in ruling and reigning with him. Because that is a promise. And you never give to get. Right. You never give to get. It's promised that you'll get. But if you, if that's the only reason you give, you honestly, you negate the promise. Right? Like, so let's pray and then we'll get out of here. Abba, we come before you in Jesus' name. I thank you again just so much for what your word says. I pray that uh, it was received well. <laughs> I pray that it was lined up well. I pray that it makes sense. Um, and I just, I ask that whatever other questions people have moving forward, um, just that you would continue to answer them through this teaching series, that you would continue to to show us what your word would have us do um, so that we can be a generous church. Because the whole point of the reason, the whole reason why we're doing any of this is because the financial committee asked me to do it, but is because uh we want to be a generous church. We want to be a generous church. We want to be able to take care of Highland Park. We want to we want to put our money where our mouth is and actually do the things that we say we want to do and not just be another church that's all talk. Because we've all been in churches like that. We've all been in communities like that. We've seen what that does to communities. Um, and if there are churches like that in this community, Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that when the tithe comes in, it's not just set aside for the pastor to have a big house, um, or drive a fancy car or have fancy suits. Um, but that there is a benevolence fund that when the tithe comes in, that they're able to take care of their people that they're able to take care of their community. I pray that that's what our heart would be. A place that wants to take care of their, their community, a family that wants to take care of their community. I pray that if, if our slogan is find family here, I pray that you would mold our hearts to be generous, a generous family so that they actually can find family here. Because family is a support system. And uh, it's not just spiritual, it's practical. It's material. Um, it, it can be financial. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to convict us to not just be takers. We don't want to be takers. We want to be givers. We want to be givers. I, I, I pray that you would bless us all in our jobs and our finances, uh, that you would you would pay off our bills. <laughs> Uh, miraculously or you know teaching us to steward our money through actually paying our bills um, at the end of it what, whatever way you do it I pray that you bless us so that we can be a blessing to others <clears throat> that we can be a blessing to others um, Lord we love you we give you all the honor and glory and praise in Jesus' name Thanks for listening to this episode of the Highland Park Community Church Podcast. 
We pray that you experienced the Holy Spirit in revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you've been impacted by our ministry and would like to make a financial contribution or you'd like to partner with us to reach the Highland Park community, visit us at www.myhpcc.net. We'll see you next time.